0: One of the things that the Iran-Contra scandal was, it set up what was called the Office of Public Diplomacy in 1983, and it was basically ran of the State Department, but it was staffed by psych operatives drawn from the Department of Defense and drawn by the CIA that worked in tandem with Republican-controlled public relations firms. The whole point was to shift the narrative, to retrain and re-educate reporters who had become too critical. And the Office of Public Diplomacy laid out a campaign that is an unbelievably ambitious. I mean, they, they, they used polling firms to figure out how to frame the debate. This is when the word terrorism was, was began to be substituted for communism because it was more emotional. And the Office of Public Diplomacy wrote articles and planted them in the press. So n- jump forward two decades later, and you have people like Cindy Embers and Jonathan Chatt who are the products of that re-education.
1: And welcome to the Katie Helper Show. Please rain review us on iTunes. You can listen to us on SoundCloud. You can also support us on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Now, in exchange for a certain level of Patreon support, you get bonus episodes, entire extended interviews, entire interviews that stand on their own. But you can also just support the show to support the show. And I'm uh, just putting it out there, not just for the quid pro quo of it, although that's great. You get basically twice as much content. But if you just like the show, you think that we do important interviews, you like hearing from people like Greg Grandin, then please do support the show. And again, you can do that at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Greg Grandin is a historian and NYU professor of history and the author of a number of prize-winning books, including most recently, The End of the Myth, From the Frontier to the Border Wall in the Mind of America. Other books by Greg include Empire's Workshop, Latin America, United States, and The Rise of the New Empire. Greg Grandin has been on the show before, and he's one of my favorite guests and I wanted to have him on to give a much-needed history lesson to Sidney Ember, who is a journalist at the New York Times, and also to Jonathan Chait, who defended Ember, and to basically everyone who thinks that Sanders' support of the Sandinistas in 1985 is at all problematic. The piece we're talking about in particular is one called Mayor and Foreign Minister, How Bernie Sanders Brought the Cold War to Burlington. Referendums, rallies, a trip to Nicaragua all were part of his effort to infuse left-wing activism into local politics. And it's co-written by Alexander Burns and Sidney Ember. But for all intents and purposes, it's by Sidney Ember in that This is one of the 18 pieces that Sydney Ember has written at the New York Times that are either overtly or somewhat covertly critical of Bernie Sanders. So I just refer to the piece as written by her because again, she co-writes a lot of pieces, but she's the common denominator among all these pieces that um, attack Bernie Sanders. Also, she is the person who did the follow-up interview, which is pretty embarrassing, but her name is on it, not uh, her co-writer, Alexander Burns. His name is not on it. Lucky for him. Diane Ravitch called her out the other day because she pretended that a guy who has no real education policy experience was a guy with education policy experience. He's really just a lobbyist and a lawyer. I mean, you can just take a look. Bernie Sanders is making changes for 2020, but his desire for control remains. That's one headline. Another thing that she wrote about Sanders based on nothing was for Bernie Sanders holding on to support may be hard in a 2020 bid. No evidence. Uh, You can see her pieces on, on Sanders where she makes things up about him how he's outflanked on the left by Beto O'Rourke, which is kind of a weirdly stupid thing to say just because it's so debunkable. Then she did four articles over the course of a couple of days on the sexual harassment allegations against staffers on the Sanders campaign. She, of course, never wrote about the sexual harassment allegations against staffers on the uh, Kirsten Gillibrand campaign or against people who worked for Kamala Harris when she was attorney general. So that's an interesting contrast. Anyway, you get the point. So this is just the latest Embersism against Bernie Sanders. And so what happened was that she wrote an article about him, this really McCarthyist, red-baiting hit piece. And Sanders, surprisingly enough, didn't want to talk to her because, again, she has a documented history of smearing him. So he didn't want to talk to her. Then she wrote this hit piece then he did want to talk to her, so they did an interview. In the interview, she asked him In the top of our story, we talk about the rally you attended in Managua, and a wire report at the time said there were anti American chants from the crowd. You do recall hearing those chants? I think the wire report has them saying, Here, there, everywhere, the Yankee will die. My point was, I wanted to know if you had heard that. Do you think if you had heard that directly, you would have stayed at the rally? Do you believe you had an accurate view of President Ortega at the time? I'm wondering if now you view Ortega and the government differently, knowing what you do now. Is there anything you believed about Latin America or the Soviet Union in the 1980s that you no longer believe today? Oh, this is w- the weirdest question. During your visit to Yaroslavi, you contrasted the American and Soviet economic systems and praised aspects of the Soviet system, like the free provision of healthcare and the efficiency of mass transit. Do you still admire these aspects of the Soviet system? Does anyone not like those aspects of any system? Anyway, the New York Times does this thing where they have a reporter ask an unfair question. They did this with Yamachi Alcindor, who asked Sanders what he had to say to people who say that it's sexist for him to not drop out. She said women say that you staying in the race is sexist because you're standing in the way of what could be the first female president. Is that a
2: serious no. question? Say,
1: yes, it is a serious question. That any
2: woman who is running for president, so if Hillary Clinton runs for president, is your point that it is sexist for any man to oppose her? No, my
1: point is that if she has more delegates than you tomorrow... Well, that's
2: another point way, that that is, race, that is is not... No, well, I don't think it is sexist.
1: So they do this. This is, they have a pattern of doing this. They ask a loaded, unfair leading question. Sanders bristles, as is understandable. And then the media makes the story about how Sanders is mean or crotchety or bad at answering questions, as opposed to the real story being about how the media likes to pick on Sanders. To be fair, Bernie Sanders did say, This was not about Ortega. Do you understand? I don't know if you do or not. Do you know that the United States overthrew the government of Chile way back? Do you happen to know that? Do you? I'm asking you a simple question. And she said, what point do you want to make? Which, by the way, is a pretty good hint that she has no idea about what's happening in Chile. Because if I were in her shoes and I was annoyed at Sanders and thought he was being rude, I would just say, yeah, of course I know about Allende and Pinochet, but... Anyway, she doesn't do that, though. She just says, what point do you want to make? Which is a nice dodge. And he says, my point is that fascism developed in Chile as a result of that. The United States overthrew the government of Guatemala, a democratically elected government, overthrew the government of Brazil. I strongly oppose U.S. policy, which overthrows governments, especially democratically elected governments around the world. So the issue is not so much Nicaragua, the government of Nicaragua. The issue was, should the United States continue a policy of overthrowing governments in Latin America and Central America? I believed then that it was wrong and I believe today it is wrong. That's why I do not believe the United States should overthrow the government of Venezuela. So then Jonathan Chait in his breathtakingly stupid defense of Ember, which I actually think just makes her and himself look like idiots. He writes, Bernie's pro-Sandinista past is a problem and his response is not good. A week ago, the New York Times reported on Bernie Sanders' 1980s vintage foreign policy stands, which at times crossed over from mere opposition to American policy to outright support for communist governments. Sanders initially refused to speak the re- with the reporters, but after the article appeared, he called one of them and gave an extremely crusty interview. What the hell is crusty? Now he has a video framing the issue, which he says is about my opposition to war and refusal to apologize for his opinions.
2: Recently, I've been criticized a bit because of my opposition to war and my belief that we got to do everything possible to solve international conflict uh, without going to war. Uh, So let me be very clear. I make no apologies to anybody uh, that when I was a young man, before I was elected to anything, uh, I opposed the war in Vietnam. And I know what that war did to my generation. And when I was a member of the House, I helped lead the effort uh, against the war in Iraq uh, because I knew that Cheney and Bush and these other folks were lying about weapons of mass destruction. I'm opposed to giving the president a blank check to launch a unilateral invasion and occupation of Iraq and why I will vote against this resolution. And that war and that vote was the worst foreign policy blunder uh, in the modern history of the United States. Uh, And as a senator, I'm proud that I helped for the first time in 45 years to utilize the War Powers Act to get the United States out of an unauthorized war uh, in Yemen. Unfortunately, after passing in the House and the Senate, Trump vetoed that legislation. And I'll tell you something, that right now, I'm going to do everything that I can uh, to prevent a war with Iran. Because if you think the war in Iraq was a disaster, My guess is that the war in Iran would be even worse. So let's work together and prevent that war. If people want to criticize me for that, go for it. That's okay. I don't apologize to anybody.
1: Thank you. Jonathan Chase he writes any politician is going to frame issues selectively but Sanders is presenting a spin on the controversy so selective it completely fails to convey any of the points relevant to the controversy during the 1980s the Reagan administration was giving military aid to the Contras a right-wing guerrilla insurgency attacking the Nicaraguan government most democrats opposed aiding the Contras while still deploring the communist Nicaragua government the time shows that Sanders went well beyond mere opposition to funding the war. He wrote to Sandinista leaders that American news media had not reflected fairly the goals and accomplishments of your administration. On a visit to the country, he attended a Sandinista celebration at which the crowd chanted, here, there, everywhere, the Yankee will die, and complained that American reporters ignored the truth quote unquote, the truth about Nicaragua's government telling a CBS reporter, you are worms, end quote. So it's because of that that uh, Chait says, This is all highly relevant to his presidential campaign and not only sheds light on his foreign policy thinking, but also illustrates the sorts of attacks Sanders would face in a general election if nominated. Given that he identifies as a democratic socialist and promises radical change, his defensive comments about a communist regime would help Republicans paint him in the most extreme light. Well, Jonathan, you are really giving them a leg up, aren't you, by doing the work ahead of time? I can't stand this guy. He's so dishonest. Just stop pretending that you're doing this for pragmatic reasons and you want to protect him and the Democrats from unfair Republican attacks. You're doing those Republican attacks. I mean, you already you don't even I don't know if you don't realize it. I I, we can't play this game It requires too much. Chade is such an idiot. Chade is such a reactionary idiot. He doesn't even realize that there's something problematic about expecting that Sanders would just hate a communist regime. Of course, he calls it a communist regime, by the way. It's another hint. So again, uh, Sanders' real problem, his unforgivable mistakes, are being at a rally where people said anti-American things, uh, telling the Sandinistas that the media in the United States wasn't representing them well, or weren't representing them fairly. Thank you, Jonathan Chait, for proving his point. And also, or saying that American report, the American media were worms. Again, thank you, Chait, for proving him right. And of course, Sidney Embers, the victim. He berated the reporter, Sydney Ember, with insinuations that she lacks a basic factual understanding of the issues. But she does seem to lack that. Ember is asking a pertinent factual question, did Sanders hear the Yankees will die chant? His response to the question is to insist she is unaware of major historical events in the region. So, for the sake of Chate, Ember, the New York Times, Chuck Todd.
3: All right, I want to move to some foreign policy. There's. New York Times uh, spent a lot of time talking about your trips to, to Central America. <laughs> yeah. I know you, you got uh, pretty worked up about those things. I think the larger question, well, and I, I, let, me, let me just frame the question this way. The larger yeah. question is going to be, if you're the nominee, whether you like it or not, the right's going to basically hammer and sickle you to death.
2: How do you prevent it? Well, I, I don't mind the right wing doing it, but I I understand they will do it. I don't want the media to do it.
1: For the sake of Chate, Ember, The New York Times, Chuck Todd, everyone else who doesn't seem to understand Latin American history or politics, I speak to Greg Grandin, and also I cut in some audio from a news report, and that is from West 57th, which is a CBS show, and the correspondent on the episode that I play, is Jane Wallace. So excited to have Greg Grandin on to talk about this work of performance art, unintentional performance art, that is uh, an article written by Sydney Ember. And Sydney Ember, by the way, her dad, her father-in-law is um, CEO at Bain. Oh. And she used to work at, at BlackRock uh, Investment Firm. And so I thought we could go over the article and the interview. We don't have to read all of it, obviously, for, for like the sake of your well being, I wouldn't want to subject you to that. So for Daniel Ortega, the president of Nicaragua, the summer of 1985 was to be a moment of extraordinary triumph. In July on the sixth anniversary of the Sandinista revolution, Mr. Ortega would address a crowd of hundreds of thousands with a message of defiance for his political nemesis, Ronald Reagan and the Contra militias waging war on him with support from Washington. Amid the festivities, Mr. Ortega would also meet with the mayor of Burlington, Vermont, Bernie Sanders, then 43, who journeyed for 14 hours to reach Nicaragua. Aspects of the trip might have unsettled another visitor. A reporter who traveled with Mr. Sanders wrote of strict limits on the taking of photographs. At the university celebration, a wire report described a chant rising up, here, there, everywhere, the Yankee will die. If Mr. Sanders harbored unease about the Sandinistas, he did not dwell on it. After many years of economic and political domination, Nicaragua is determined not to be a banana republic anymore and it's free to make its own decisions, Mr. Sanders declared, according to a Nicaraguan newspaper, and Nuevo Diario, nice. quoting him in Spanish. Is this a crime? She says, um, a New York Times review of Mr. Sanders' mayoral papers, including hundreds of speeches, handwritten notes, letters, political pamphlets, and domestic and foreign newspapers. Clippings from a period spanning nearly a decade revealed that from his earliest days in office, Mr. Sanders aimed to execute his own foreign policy, repudiating Mr. Reagan's approach of aggressively backing anti-communist governments and resistance forces.
0: Reagan came to to office in 1980, committed to to rolling back what he what he just he and his he and his um, supporters understood to be a wave a socialist wave in Central America and he and um, and he ratcheted up military support to the death squads in El Salvador death squads in Guatemala and the contras in Nicaragua. What um, I, I, what wasn't mentioned in that article? I mean, Benigno Ortega might have been you know it should have been a triumphal moment for him in that vote, but he was just elected in an in an election that was universally understood
1: to be fair and above board. Right, so that's what's interesting. She, I think, maybe forgot that something bad was supposed to happen. Like, <laughs> it's very ominous sounding, right? The summer of 1985 was to be a moment of extraordinary triumph, but then nothing bad happens that she refers to. <laughs> Except for maybe that Bernie comes. <laughs> Does she think it's not fun to hang out with Bernie? <laughs>
0: Well, it was a bad. It was a bad year for the war. I mean, the contras were, you know, the organized remnants of Somoza's national guard. Somoza being the dictator that was overthrown in 1979. That um, that uh, you know, Jimmy. We could we could talk about the specifics of Jimmy Carter, but Jimmy Carter's uh, policy towards Nicaragua was amb- ambivalent to say the least. He. Gestured support of the Sandinistas, but then tried to contain them at the same time. And and anyway, he was he was seen as in, uh, he was seen as waffling and and, and weak by, by the supporters of Reagan. And they immediately moved to organize uh, the the opposition, the right wing opposition into into this paramilitary force based yeah. in Honduras and based in Costa Rica that carried out unimaginably atrocious acts of atrocity that that. Um, you know, that are routinely condemned.
4: We came to find an American nun who lives in the middle of this war. She's appalled by what she sees of the war her country pays for. The Contra, she says, are deliberately targeting civilians. Gregorio Davila was orphaned by them.
1: family was murdered by the Contra in November, when the baby was six days old. The parents were murdered? Yes. Other members um, of the family as well? Uh, a brother of the mother, his girlfriend, the four-year-old brother of this baby, uh, contra attacked about 20 of them in one night.
4: Gregorio's sister, Guadalupe, witnessed the attack. Did they shoot them? Los tiraron. papá They slit his throat. How about your mother? Qué le hicieron a tu mama? They killed her and then they took her clothes off.
0: They burned her clothes and then they peeled off her face. They, they, they were out-and-out out terrorists and they used terror as a as a political tactic. The tactics
4: are what we call terrorist tactics. They are not military tactics. Edgar Chamorro was one of the top political leaders of the Contra group FDN. He was fired last November, the FDN says, for incompetence. Sometimes terror is very productive. Terror makes people to give in, to... to not, not, not to fight, you know, they end up by accepting the contract because they fear them.
0: The idea wasn't necessarily to overthrow the Sandinistas, because they didn't think that was possible, but certainly to um, do two things. One, destabilize them, and two, make them act in the way that their oppos- opponents believe, you know, said that they were, right? Because to, how do you respond to, a, to a, a war financed by the most powerful nation in world history? Um, other than by having to crack down on civil liberties. I mean, right. the horror of having limits placed on what photos were taken. Right, on. right. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, how does that mm-hmm. compare to-
4: Christina Diaz, when she was left for dead after an attack in Father Peltz's parish. A girl of 11 years old who was visiting her uncle, that was her crime. And her uncle, in some way, was a member of a Sandinista support committee. After they burned his house and killed several other members of his household, a fellow shot at her from horseback first and missed and told somebody else to, to shoot her. You got shot four times. They told her to lay down face down on the ground. And then they shot her.
0: I mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing anybody who was paying attention to Nicaragua in the, the mid 1980s who had any decency whatever would have been opposed to what Reagan was doing. The Contras weren't incidental. They were the centerpiece of this move by movement conservatives to, to, to destabilize and and, 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 or, and turn into the authoritarian caricature, that, uh, the Senate is into the authoritarian caricature that they said they were. The Contras were remnants of, of Somoza's National Guard. They were brutal. They were organized by the CIA. They were aided by a whole panoply of of, of private right wing organizations that that was all part of the scandal that was Iran Contra, and they were responsible for something like fifty thousand deaths, and they 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 specifically targeted all of the symbols of Sandinista. saying you know Sandinistas a revolution. They were trying to establish sovereignty in the hinterland of a country. They set up health clinics. They set up you know uh, uh, they they were trying to create electrical plants, they set up schools, and those were the those were specifically the targets that were that were destroyed by the Contras. Uh, and and any any kind of you know liter the literacy workers, the the engineers, anybody who was who was involved in trying to create the new Nicaraguan nation were targeted by the Contras.
4: Pedro and Felix Espinales used to live in a farming cooperative that doesn't exist anymore. It was wiped out by the Contras last year. 35 people were killed, half of those women and children. Some of the men, including their father, were members of the local militia. The twins survived the killing that left their father and friends dead in a ditch. Then they finished off a couple of kids that were just wounded. They finished them off, they killed them? Yes. In front of you kids? What happened to your daddy? What happened to your daddy?
0: They pulled off the skin off his face and his feet Contras carried out a policy of torture and rape and scorched earth and the points wasn't so much to overthrow the sandinistas nobody really thought the sandinistas could be overthrown by the Contras but just to show that the sandinistas couldn't establish sovereignty and control on the board in the borderland areas where the where the Contras moved in and out of from Honduras and Costa Rica. They were they were brutally they were brutal and they were roundly condemned by by all decent people. So that that's kind of uncontroversial that Sanders <laughs> opposed the right. that seems to be a basic thing. What's um what's m- more interesting about it is that Nicaragua and the, and the and the Contra war were part of the New Right's attempt to regain control of the narrative, the thread that was lost after Vietnam, mm-hmm. right? Vietnam, I mean, Sandinista's win in 1979, uh, you know, Sanders is in Managua in 1985. That's just 10 years after, after the US, you know, had a pull out of Saigon and, and those famous photographs of the kind of or of American power, those helicopters falling off the aircraft carriers as right. the US was kicked out of Southeast Asia. And um, the new right who get rallied around Ronald Reagan came to power, committed to, to, um, to regaining both the military and moral high ground. And when I mean moral high ground, I don't mean that what they did was moral. I meant that they could justify it in moral terms, right? They are the
2: moral equal of our founding fathers and the brave men and women of the French resistance. We cannot turn away from them. But the struggle here, the struggle here is not right versus left. It is right versus wrong.
0: They wanted to end exactly the kind of skepticism, the kind of cynicism and the kind of orga- organized opposition to U.S. foreign policy that Sanders and a whole generation that came of age in Vietnam represented. And the place that they did that was Nicaragua. And, um... And one of the things that that I uh, the Iran-Contra scandal was, that is less not really talked about aside from selling the high-tech missiles to, uh, to, Islam- to Islamic Iran and diverting the money to the Contras.
3: But much of the Contra's funding came from the cocaine trade. Because of this, Congress passed the Bolin Amendment, specifically aimed at keeping American money from funding the group. That happened in 1982, shortly after Reagan took office the amendment restricted the CIA and Department of Defense from using funds to provide military assistance to groups that were trying to overthrow Nicaragua's government. Groups like the Contras. This didn't stop Reagan. The president told his national security adviser, Robert McFarland, to help the Contras anyway, regardless of the cost. McFarland found opportunity in Iran. In 1985, an Iranian-backed terrorist group held seven American hostages in Lebanon. So with permission from Reagan, McFarland made a deal. The U.S. would give Iran weapons, and Iran would broker the release of the hostages. This happened even though Reagan publicly insisted he would not negotiate with terrorists, and despite the fact that there was a trade embargo with Iran. But that was just the tip of the iceberg. The deal with Iran didn't just secretly secure the release of the hostages in exchange for weapons. And there was money involved. While $30 million had been allocated for the weapons, the CIA funneled a portion of that money to the Contras in Nicaragua. Only $12 million of the $30 million actually went toward weapons for Iran. The rest of the money was sent to the Contras in Nicaragua.
1: She has this total euphemism for the Contras where she says it like embroiled the president in legal scandal because he defied. Congress, like, he didn't <laughs> yeah. break the law, he just defied co- Congress restrictions. And one
0: of the things that I uh, the iran Contra Scandal was, it set up what was called the Office of Public Diplomacy in 1983. And it was basically ran of the State Department, but it was staffed by psych op- operatives, drawn from the Department of Defense and drawn by the CIA, that worked in tandem with Republican-controlled public relations firms. It was headed by Otto Reich, and then Robert Kagan, and the whole point of it, the whole point was to shift the narrative, to retrain and re-educate reporters who had gone off the reservation, who had become too critical, and not just reporters, but a, a public that that even if you weren't actively opposed to U.S. foreign policy, you kind of believed the worst of the U.S. And the Office of Public Diplomacy laid out a campaign, I talk about it at Empire's Workshop, that is, an Unbelievably ambitious. I mean, they 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 use polling firms to figure out how to frame the debate. This is when the word terrorism was was began to be substituted for communism because it was more emotional and easier. To, this is when the word um, when anti-Semitism as a as a charge for U.S. enemies began to be just because it polled well. And and. And the Office of Public Diplomacy wrote articles and planted them in the press. So jump forward, whatever, how many, you know, two uh, two decades later, and you have people like Cindy Embers and Jonathan Chad, who are the products of that re-education. They don't have to be induced to do it. Or Right. Well, you know, Greg, (laughs) you're gonna be really
1: happy because guess who um, Ember, Uh, guess who Cindy Ember cites? Do you know this? She actually, Otto Reich. yeah, she, she cited Otto <laughs> yeah. Reif, yeah. a very fair and balanced source. Otto Reif, a former special envoy for Latin America, who helped oversee Nicaragua policy for the Reagan administration, said that by the middle of the 1980s, a politician like Mr. Sanders should have known better than to fawn over Mr. Ortega. By the way, fawn is her word, so he says should have known better, that's his quote than to fawn over Mr. Ortega. Mr. Reich noted that prominent liberals like John F. Kerry, then a Senator from Massachusetts, had met with Ortega, Mr. Ortega in Nicaragua, but had not actually celebrated him. And then she quotes Reich as saying, he has by virtue of these travels and associations joined up with some of the most repressive regimes in the world.
0: Yeah, Otto Reich wasn't just, he was an envoy for Latin America during George W. Bush. Under Ronald Reagan, what he was, was the head of of the Office of Public Diplomacy, which was one of the most uh, corrupting and degrading instrument of U.S. democracy one could imagine. It was basically, it's against the law, actually, to run psychological operations against U.S. citizens. And this, uh, it's in the National Security Directive and all of the series of laws. This figured out ways to circumvent them, uh, and it, and it, and uh, it. It 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 targeted the press. It targeted um, uh, uh, organizations like CISPIS, It it made it raised the it raised the cost. Of reporting critically on El Salvador. And uh, they, they, uh, they, as I mentioned earlier, they, they they used polling firms to figure out how to frame the debate in the simplest possible terms. Look, the vast majority of people didn't know who we were supporting in Nicaragua, who we were supporting in El Salvador. You know, I mean, we were supporting the government in El Salvador, the con- government right, we yeah. in Nicaragua. Most people didn't know that.
1: Including city And the Amber, point clearly. was to
0: take that low... Low base of knowledge and frame it in even simpler terms. So you know the Demo- the conscious are freedom fighters. Nicaragua is li- linked to Gaddafi and terrorism and anti-Semitism, and um, and and just constantly and constantly beat those themes. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of sources of fake news and what we call fake news and the epistemological crisis that we're all living in. It's not all, but a good uh, you know one source of it is the kind of the, the, the destabilization and disinformation campaign that the U.S. has used in other countries coming back home to the United States in the country, particularly in the Contra war, the, the Reagan Central American policy was the main instrument that the new right used to try to restore uh, an imperial presidency to overcome what they saw as apathy or a, not even not. even I mean, Bernie Sanders was an organized socialist, not even that just a general sense of cynicism and and skepticism about U.S. purpose in the world. And mm-hmm. The new right policy was meant to overcome that, and they used Nicaragua to do that. And so that's the irony of all of this, that Ember Sidney, or Sidney Ember, or whatever yeah. her name is, is Who, uh, yeah. you know. Her beat is, is in Bernie. Yeah, she's a product of that.
1: Right, of yeah, that, they're showing, uh, not that not
0: She She makes all of these gestures towards the, you know, authoritarianism in the Sandinistas government in the 1980s. But she's the one unknowingly who has been in our cohort has gone yeah, through the re education. I mean, Jonathan, <laughs>
1: yeah, Chait, Jonathan Just you Chait. brought up the anti Semitism thing. I don't know if you saw this, but I just want to give him credit because you probably know that Jonathan Chait went after Ilan Omar for yeah, a speech in which he talked about allegiance. Um, from which he extrapolated that she was making a reference to the dual loyalty trope, a trope that is so obscure. But but Jonathan Chait was sure, you know, he had to go after her for that. Now, mo- skip forward a little bit. Politico had a piece about Sanders um, about oh, his money secret tree, yeah. million. Yeah, money. yeah. Now, Greg, I want to make sure you get this because it's lost <laughs> on a lot of people. It's very nuanced. It says that he's um, he may be cheap, but he's not poor. And he's standing in one image. He's standing holding two houses and with a third one on his head. And in another image, he's standing in front of a tree which has dollar bill, right? Which has dollars instead of leaves. So you may not get this, though, Greg. I know. It's very deep. It's very subtle.
0: Right. There's a picture of a baby on a plate in the corner, too.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, well, what's so funny is I, just, I tweeted I'm, out. I said something like, you just need the dollar signs in his eyes. You just, you missed that. And then yeah. I saw in the actual article, the tree, the money tree thing. And I was like, I spoke too soon. You actually did lay everything out. No, um, and of course, they misrepresented the, the wealth of all these people. But, but Jonathan Chait was so busy writing a follow-up to Ember's piece. That he didn't get a chance to even tweet about the anti-Semitic tropes that he that he must have missed because they're so subtle in this Politico piece. But you yeah. know, Batia ba- um, Bunger sung Batia from the Forward, who I'm not a fan of. She at least had the kind of wherewithal to appear consistent. Yeah. So she was the one who really unfairly went after Ilhan Omar. At least she tweeted something about Politico. You didn't hear anything from Meghan McCain that from. Was Clinton, Jonathan Chait. And it's, I mean, it's infuriating, but they're also doing us a favor in a way because they're just, they're just kind of revealing and owning what disingenuous um, opportunists they are and how little they care about anti-Semitism yeah. actually. Um, but what do you think of this question that, um, that Sydney Ember asked Bernie Sanders? Because her major question to him was if he had heard that chant, that death to the Yankee uh, chant. So this is her big moment to to interview Sanders and Sanders didn't want to do it, maybe because this woman's beat is literally like, she, her beat, I think probably the New York Times has it written down that she's the Bernie basher in, in yeah. residence. I mean, all she does is talk about it. I mean, I Diane Ravitch like had a great piece about her. Just to get a sense of her honesty, it's not just that she has terrible politics, it's that she ended her piece on education by quoting someone involved in education who rabbit had never heard of, and he's a lobbyist and a lawyer. I mean, yeah. you know. But um, in in the interview, she asks him if he had heard the anti-American chants um, and if he would have stayed there if he had heard it. And then, of course, Sanders gets upset and asks her, you know, says uh, he has no, if she knows what she's talking about. And then everyone said she was just doing her job, which is true if her job is, you know, smearing sanders and being a source of
0: disinformation. But what do you think of that question? You know, it's a set-up question. I don't, you know, again, going back to the equivalents, it's like sticks and stones may right. break my bones, but things will never hurt me. It's like AK, the AK-47s and the flamethrowers and the grenades and the landmines we provided to, we provided the Contras will, will, will <laughs> you know, will kill, our, you know, all right. the village children. But, but yeah. like...
1: <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because Ember again she doesn't she she describes the Contras as a legal scandal um and she says that there were that that Reagan continued to support them even as like news of a atro- uh, even despite allegations of atrocities was Reagan unaware of the atrocities committed by the Contras right no
0: look to go back to the point that I made earlier the how the office of Depo- public reports figured out ways to um to, to frame the debate, to muddy the waters, right? To introduce doubt, to frame the argument. I mean, she really is just a product of that. Of the Office of Public Diplomacy, um, and this was Otto Reich was the I think he was either the first or um or the second, but um you know so it, it was formed in January 1983, and it was and it was. And it was set out to uh, to basically create this kind of disinformation campaign run on domestic soil. Um, it was uh, it contracted adver- Republican associated advertising firms to kind of frame the debate. It used um, uh, psychological operatives from the Department of Defense and from the CIA. Um, and, and basically the, the office used the, the Nicaraguan campaign to shift the understanding Away from communism, this concept of terrorism, right? Mm-hmm. So, use focus groups to figure out that the word terrorism resonated more than the word communism. Um, uh, you know, equating the Sandinistas with the Nazis and charging Managua with fomenting terrorism in, in neighboring countries and linking them with the PLO, with Libya, <laughs> with right. Arafat, with Ayatollah Khomeini. Um, you know, it really was just a. a, 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 a um, a way of of uh, figuring out how to how to frame the debate about foreign policy in a more State Department favorable way,
1: while and supporting it terrorists. Seems right?
0: like, yeah, and seems like it seems like um, you know the reduction of foreign policy to a series of very emotionally laden talking points, and that link the Sandinistas to any number of world evils. You right. know, began to be pushed by the Office of public diplomacy in coordination with. U.S. politicians, and then they would write op-eds and publish them under people's names, a big new Brzezinski, you know, and, oh, and, right. and you know, and, 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 and just get them published that, you know, on in empire's workshop, they have a list of, um, of like, uh, you know, over two month period. And exactly in 1985, I mean, it, I could, I mean, uh, it's a chronology of 79 tasks that the oh. office set out to do. Yeah, <laughs> it's sure. share some of them. Share some of them. Okay. One, assign U.S. intelligence agencies to research Sandinista violations of the Geneva Convention. Um, Then then approach congressmen based on that research. Encourage U.S. reporters to meet individual contra fighters. Contact internal witnesses to testify before Congress about their um, failed attempts to deal with the Sandinistas. Prepare a list of publicly and privately expressed congressional objections to aiding the – Aiding contras. Then request that Zbigniew Brzezinski write a paper which points out geopolitical consequences of communist domination of Central America. Hold briefing for key congressional members and staffs. Um, uh, uh, Draft one op-ed per week for signature by administrator for op-eds and retain final editorial rights. Conduct public opinion polling of American attitudes towards the Sandinistas. Uh, prepare a list of key media outlets interested in Central American in- issues. Identify specific editors, commentators, talk shows, and columnists. Uh, call, visit newspaper editorial boards and give them background on, on the Nicaraguan freedom fighters. Um, and again, use calling the call, you know, framing it using calling the conscious freedom fighters. Um, and it just goes on and on and on release paper on Nicaraguan drug involvement, distribute paper on geopolitical consequences. That was the one that they asked Brzezinski to, to organize rallies, um, organize, uh, you know, and then and then with no irony release paper on Nicaraguan media manipulation. Oh my God, that's amazing! <laughs> Again, they're so, showing that telling Otto Reich would show up at NPR offices and, and lecture them about what they got wrong about uh, by flooding the me- so the point wasn't necessarily so whenever a report a reporter wrote about a contra atrocity the point wasn't necessarily to re- rebut it on. Un- Uh, but to to flood the media with with other interpretations to muddy the water, right? Yeah. You know, so here's Karen Burns, who worked for ABC News in 1987, right? She said, so confronted by government spokespeople and sympathetic experts ready to rebut unfavorable coverage, no matter how slight the criticism or how marginal the source, reporters came to dread the amount of fact-checking it took to cover Central America. And this is Karen Burns now i work for a network very concerned with cost and image it takes months and months she said to do a critical story on reagan's central american policy spending that much prep time on a story that would take up only five minutes of airtime. it was not a way to be successful so you know she would just the point was that she just covers something else right um it's you right. know so, a so yeah so so Reich, so Reich. um would uh would personally tour npr studios and he'd let them know that that the office of public diplomacy had contracted quote a special consultant service to listen to all npr programs on central america which the, which npr understood to be you know basically a threat of, of defunding to be right. defunding and it was following that visit that npr a high conservative commented linda chavez to provide uh to provide balance that's the liberal so, media
1: right and yeah so
0: but the point is this is all going on this is all the backdrop to that to 1985 to right. to, to to Sanders' visit in Managua. Right. that um that, and 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 how sydney amber seems to be exhibit a of how right. successful that Campaign was yeah. re-education.
1: Well, you're a historian, Greg, so you must appreciate that, right? That she shows yeah. the, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a lesson yeah. in historical legacies. It's so fascinating that she um, she mentions the crimes against humanity committed by uh, Ortega. She links to an Amnesty International report on that. The, again, the contrast she makes it seem like Reagan didn't like it was rumors, right? She, right. she, she says that there were allegations of atrocities. She says, Mr. Reagan regarded Mr. Ortega as an intolerable threat, a Marxist revolutionary with ties to the Soviet Union in Cuba, even as the Contras face mounting allegations of brutal killings and other atrocities.
0: So look, look at this. And So in May 1985, Newsweek ran an article that reported uh, on these atrocities that, um, that the Contras had committed, they were, it was backed up by color photo- photographs provided by a photographer, Frank Wohl, a Marine ROTC graduate, an anti-communist activist who was traveling with the Contras when he witnessed the execution of a prisoner of war, scooping the dirt out. Uh, with his hand, squatting in the hole, he ate some dry powdered milk. That, so then the Contra executioner knelt and jammed a kbar knife into his throat. A second enforcer stabbed at his jugular. This is all reported in Newsweek, right? This is a second enforcer stabbed at his jugular then his ob- abdomen. When the corpse was finally still, the Contras threw dirt over his grave and walked away. So that's when the Office of Public Diplomacy sprang into action. The photos were authentic, yet Otto Reich argued that they must have been faked because the country uniforms were too clean. Wohl's conservative credentials didn't stop Oliver North from from accusing him of being a Sandinista sympathizer. When asked about the killing by House Speaker Tip O'Neill, Reagan simply said, I saw that picture and I'm told that after it was taken, the so-called victim got up and walked away.
1: Oh so he's (laughs) magical, I guess. The irony of
0: of Cindy Ember talking about press control in Managua, this is May 1985.
1: Right, yeah. This is
0: exactly the moment that Sanders is there.
1: Yeah, I don't think that Ember knows about any of this. I mean, I think if she did know about it, she would conceal it anyway, but I actually don't think she knows what she's talking about. Can you just give kind of a, um, in case she's listening to the show, maybe she likes us because I talk about her a lot, an overview of like the greatest hits of the the foreign policies that we support, that Reagan supported, because she doesn't seem to know that there were like uh, dictatorships or juntas or in uh, Argentina. You know, she doesn't know about Guatemala. She doesn't really know about anything, yeah. but she names El Salvador and Nicaragua, but nothing else. Reagan came to power, you know,
0: in the post-Vietnam realignment, and and, and, and he managed to tap into a uh, kind of backlash that caused by the by the nineteen seventies, by Watergate, by um, by Vietnam, and he promised to came into office, promising to restore American purpose and and power, and and um, and he did that uh, in a number of different ways. Um, one, uh, and explicitly, he 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 um, he reversed all of Jimmy Carter's. Uh, human rights conditions that he placed on di- the dictators were already in place in South America, um, in Argentina, in Chile, in 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 Brazil, in, not in, in Brazil. And but what Reagan did was that he that he he signaled very early on that that um, they weren't going to condition military aid human rights abuses. So there was a clear show of support um, for the junta in Argentina, for for Pinochet in in, in Chile. And other dictatorships, but really it was in Central America where there were the Sedanistas had just won in in mid 1979 in July 1979 they overthrew a dictatorship the Somoza dictatorship, and um, and there were left wing insurgencies in Guatemala and in El Salvador and and Central America is important largely because many people at the time had a were hard pressed to say re- why Reagan was so obsessed with Central America, why he was willing to call rapists and torturers and murderers the moral equivalent of our founding fathers, why he was willing to ratchet up. Well, maybe
1: and, he was really being woke and critiquing the yeah. um, rape yes. culture maybe that was, was a, incorporated into yeah, the founding of, you I know. know he was is, just yeah, highlighting that, that, the moral that, bankruptcy that is, of that. our slave <laughs> slaveocracy, yeah. yeah.
0: Why he was willing to spend millions of dollars to defend, uh, you know, and support death squads in El Salvador to to publicly embrace Rios Montú in, in Guatemala was was launching a, a genocide that would destroy hundreds of Mayan villages and and kill hundreds of thousands of people. And to a large degree, Central America's importance was its unimportance—that mm. it didn't have any strategic, you know, it was squarely within the U.S.'s backyard. It had no important resources. There was no superpower that was going to come to its aid. So. In all of the other areas of the world where Reagan talked tough, he had to act with a degree of moderation. The Soviet Union still existed. The Middle East was volatile. I mean, he pulled out troops of Beirut. The one place though, that he could actually give to movement conservatives and let them run wild was Central America. And and that's why El Salvador, Guatemala, and Nicaragua is so important. He gave them he gave the region to, you know, and there were different currents that go into the New Right. There's the there was the the, the Christian New Right who was beca- the Pentecostals who were becoming increasingly involved in foreign policy and interested in world affairs as part of their prophetic understanding of how history right. was unfolding. There was the Vietnam. That's like Ali North, who were radicalized to the right as a result of Vietnam. There was all of the paramilitary soldier of fortune types who had become demobilized after Watergate in Vietnam because of Congress had taken away all of their covert ops. There were, and there was the secular, and there was the secular neocons, people like Elliot Abrams, that 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 um, that believed that the US had to restore its authority in the world and, and 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 relink that authority to some kind of moral purpose and the place that they all came together was central america
1: so there was, was no cost was,
0: you're saying um, and like, there was no cost because right. Reagan yeah Reagan could let them run wild i mean he couldn't you know we had to act with a degree of moderation in the middle east and you know the US had just been kicked out of southeast asia and you know, and 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 Eastern Europe was Eastern Europe, that was clearly squarely within the Soviet sphere, there was nothing you could do there. Central America was, no, oh, Central America was, uh, Nicaragua might have, uh, Nicaragua was very cautious in its foreign policy in terms of its alignment with the Soviet Union. I mean, it it wound up relying more and more right. on the Soviets via, via, these, cu- via Cuba, as the Contra war became more of a crime. Right. But, I mean, Nicaragua was one, one of the poorest countries in the hemisphere. This incredibly uh, optimistic revolution, powered by as much by liberation theology, uh, the right. current within Catholicism that that wanted to ally w- with the poor rather than the rich, and and that critiqued capitalism, critiqued militarism, and
1: believed in Jesus Christ's yeah. actual teachings
0: yeah literacy and right. health care, but you know I mean social justice they, they, it was immediately under but but Nicaragua was also a country that was squarely within the United States' sphere of I mean all of Central America, going back to the nineteenth century, I mean Central America is basically a province of the united states u s capital the right. u s removed presidents at will, you know over the years and 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 it obviously wasn't going to tolerate. A, a, a social democratic nationalist revolution.
1: Right. See, I'm, um, I this is just an example of how strong the um, the propaganda is, right? Because I studied this stuff, you know, I know the Contras were and Oliver North, but even then I was just like, well, no, there was the Cold War and there was the Soviet Union and there was the United States and obviously Nicaragua was on the Soviet Union side and yeah, they were Marxists, but who cares? But I kind of forgot that A, it sounds like what happened to them, there was like a Cubanization of them, right? Because Cuba did start out so aligned with the Soviet Union, but then because of the U.S.'s attacks on them, they were pushed into that corner. Yeah. and also, as you said, I mean, why doesn't you know? Shockingly enough, you're gonna, you're not not gonna believe it, but Sidney Ember, shockingly enough, does not refer to the the um, liberation theolo- theological um, currents in in central america just, yeah and it's just all and she that's obviously important. doesn't know what that is honestly
0: but yeah. i mean this gets this starts to get tangential but it i mean liberation theology is important because that was the first political religion that the new right squared off against before it moved on to islam and and liberation theology was a was a powerful moral challenge to i mean it, it was it was re, it was absolutely earth-shaking in central america and latin america where the catholic church had been a pillar of the colonial order and then the, and then the post you know then the then the capitalist oligarchic order and and to have um to have this moral and theological upheaval within the catholic church in which in which uh in providing theological justification for opposition and resistance um and so a lot of the, but it's evangelical- not tangential.
1: I feel like because it's actually no, no.
0: I just it's not tangential at all. Right, it
1: is the it, first- but it's so present. It's a its absence is is remarkable, right? Yeah, its absence is remarkable. Yeah, doesn't come into any of the framing of what was happening. And of course, yeah. one of the people was killed. Who was killed was Romero Oscar Romero, right? So yeah. But I mean, I, I'm just embarrassed, honestly, to be totally stream of consciousness ish. Um, I'm kind of embarrassed because I realize, like, to be fair, there's so many, so many examples of media malpractice in this piece. But I kind of forgot that one of the big things that that one of Ember's crimes was that she totally didn't even bother mentioning liberation theology. I mean, there's not yeah. a single I mean, mention
0: 1980s, of it. the 1980s, the uh, 1980s Sanders was obviously part of a <sighs> right. of a of an org, of, of of an org, of a of a post Vietnam left that had. Multiple currents, same Friede's, right. the civil rights right. movement, the anti-Vietnam War movement, which had found, you know, sore in Central America, a continuation of the struggle. And anybody who, you know, anybody who who, who has even, a, who should have a curse passing knowledge of the history of the United States should know this about the left in the 1980s. But was it, you know, and, and you know, and it dissipates a bit in the 1990s, both as that generation moves on and, 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 and as neoliberalism kind of changes the terms of, of, of politics, but Sanders does, you know, Sanders represents that, that history in a very, in a, in a very proud way.
1: In other words, it's not just Marxist opposition to, yeah, yeah. to, you know, death squads. There's a lot. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah, of course. That's what, yeah. And what, and what about, uh, I mean, what, what do you say to people who say stuff like, well, you know, Ortega has done some bad stuff now and he did some bad stuff then i mean that's what she tries to do ember can you kind of shed light on the false equivalence of that
0: oh well there's no comparison i mean well at the time the, yes the sanitarista government took measures in order i mean they were fighting the largest most powerful empire in world history that right. was fighting you know that that um and and uh and yes they they you know they they um particularly in the east in the eastern part of the country in the Mosquito Coast region they, they they did take measures that were you know in retrospect hard to defend except in the context of war right. but you know but it was a war that was forced on them right in terms of Daniel Ortega now i mean i think that's a long history and and there are plenty people who have broke with the current iteration of the Sandinistas and 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 Daniel Ortega who would not at, in in any way repudiate the sandinista revolution itself particularly in 1985 for the for nicaragua this was a war that was forced on them it was you know they had no cho- they had no choice but either capitulate or fight back and when and 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 for the united states it was totally a war of choice uh, 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 um which the u.s decided that it was going to Bring the full weight of its of its of its power down on the poorest one of the poorest countries in the hemisphere.
1: Another interesting thing is that she says now as as Sanders competes for the Democratic presidential nomination, Mr. Sanders' profound skepticism of American power appears to set him apart from other major candidates who have pledged to restore the country's traditionally assertive global role. I don't know what she means. She means by restoring it. <laughs> I didn't know it went away. Um, she mentions the um, invasion of Grenada. And you know what she links to is um, is an article that the New York Times published in the '80s that was a summary of the government's reasons for it. <laughs> like you can't you can't make it up.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's really just just remarkable. Yeah. We it could be continued the conversation. Yeah, definitely, and <laughs> it's I want to always fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I want to have you on to talk about the book too, which is really great. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Oh, uh, well, wait, to you one more yeah. thing. I just have to do in full disclosure. Um, I have to say that you know you and Sanders both have similar accents, and you both do the R at the end when there is no R, like idea.
0: And 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 I take and you take and it you take away it off, when yeah. there is one. Right.
1: So I have yeah, to. We have like to that. disclose that you know, for for uh, full transparency, <laughs> so people can decide whether or not your support of him is tribalist or not.
0: <laughs> I gotta go ten. I gotta go ten to my money tree.
1: Nice. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. All right. for <laughs> Bye, Greg. Greg Grandin is a historian and NYU professor of history and the author of a number of prize-winning books, including most recently *The End of the Myth*. From the Frontier to the Border Wall in the Mind of America. He's also the author of The Empire of Necessity, Slavery, Freedom, and Deception in the New World, which won the Bancroft Prize in American History and was shortlisted for the Samuel Johnson Prize in the UK. NPR's Maureen Corrigan on Fresh Air named The Empire of Necessity as the best book of 2014, both nonfiction and fiction. He's also the author of Fordlandia, The Rise and Fall of Henry Ford's Forgotten Jungle City. A finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in History, as well as for the National Book Award and the National Book Critics Circle Award, Fordlandia was picked by the New York Times, New Yorker, Boston Globe, Chicago Tribune, and NPR for their best of lists. Whoa, Toni Morrison called it compelling, brilliant, and necessary. That's really cool. Other books by Greg include Empire's Workshop, Latin America, United States, and the Rise of the New Empire, The Last Colonial Massacre, Latin America During the Cold War, Blood of Guatemala, A History of Race and Nation, which won the Latin American Studies Association's Bryce Wood Award for the best book published on Latin America in any discipline. A professor of history at NYU and a member of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, Grandin writes on U.S. foreign policy, Latin America, genocide, and human rights. He's published in the New York Times, Harper's, the London Review of Books, The Nation, the Boston Review, the LA Times, and the American Historical Review. He has been a frequent guest on Democracy Now!, Grandin also served as a consultant to the United Nations Truth Commission on Guatemala and has been the recipient of a number of prestigious fellowships, including the John Simon Guggenheim Memorial Fellowship. Wow. Really great writer. Uh, He's also the author of Kissinger's Shadow, The Long Reach of America's Most Controversial Statesman. And you can also find out more about Greg at greggrandin.com. And you can follow him on Twitter at... Greg Grandin. Thanks again so much for listening to The Katie Halper Show. The Katie Halper Show is produced by Joshua Bregman, edited by Ted Reedy, and our theme song is by the band Cordoba.